Hi, this is Owen. And this is Chris. And this is Dead War Gamer Society. Hi, this is a new podcast focused on Dead War Gaming. Uh, we're going to go through the uh, preliminary episode today, talk about ourselves, um, who we are, where we're coming from in terms of tabletop wargaming. Talking about what a dead war game is, and then talking about our plans for the podcast. Uh, Chris, you want to start us off? Sure. So, with dead war games, I think the ones that I'm currently playing and have the most experience with are going to be Dark Age, Eden, a little bit of Mordheim, and it, if we're going to include some uh, revived games, also uh, Dust nineteen forty seven. There's a few more that we'll definitely be covering over the course of this podcast, but those are the ones I'm most excited about right now. What about you, Owen? Um, in terms of Dead War games, uh, Dark Age and Eden are currently the big two. In terms of revived war games, I play a lot of Wild West Exodus. Um, I have interest in a lot of other games, and I'd love to play some Necromunda and Mordheim uh, back when things finally open up, but uh, at the moment, that's not currently something that I'm diving into. Uh, in terms of other war games that you play, Chris, what what else do you uh, typically partake in? So I play a, a little bit of everything. <laughs> um, being that I do some convention work with Muson Minis and every so often some other companies, it's good to have a basis of what games are out there, what's being played. Um, it'd be really hard to, to kind of pick and choose favorites, but the ones that I've played most recently have been uh, Judgment, Riot Quest and Marvel uh, Crisis Protocol. Right on, right on. I think uh, for me, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I play a little bit of everything. Uh, in terms of what I've played most recently, what's on my painting table, that would be uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Relic Blade, and uh, a new game from War Cradle called Mythos. Um, I'm also really looking forward to the War Cradle reboot of uh, Firestorm Armada. Something I played a lot of. I guess that's also another dead war game, but um, hasn't been on, on my painting table or my radar for a while, but I saw that they have the beta out, and I'm looking forward to giving that a go once that uh, that gets rolling again. Um, okay, so I, I, we've talked a little bit about dead war games we've played, and we should probably cover what we mean specifically when we say that, because I've heard people use that term in a, a couple different ways, and uh, I think the big thing we want to cover when we say dead war games, we're not using that uh, projogatively. We're not you know, using it as a put down. It's, it's a very specific meaning. So I've heard people in my meta refer to something like War Machine as a dead war game. And I, I think they mean that in a negative way. And that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about games that are no longer supported by their company, either officially or, or through action. So if you don't put out any releases and don't mention the product for over two years, I'd, I'd say it's a pretty good chance the product's no longer supported and functionally doesn't have any uh, retail support anymore. W would you want to add anything to that, Chris? Yeah, I think there's also the possibility that sometimes uh, we'll be talking about a revived game where yep. sometimes the game is dead. It might have been dropped by the company. company might have folded. Um, might have just been put on the back burner for a while. Um, and then just at, at, a lot of times out of nowhere, all of a sudden you see a, you know, a new Kickstarter <laughs> or the IP gets purchased, or even the company goes back and kind of restructures things and starts putting out new releases. And we're still gonna cover them, um, but you'll see that where the game is now, you know, similar to a uh, Dust1947, or even like a Necromunda, um, mm -hmm. the game might've been dead for 
a period of time and now is a currently supported game. Yeah, I uh, I think that definitely covers it. Um, in terms of uh, games that you're excited to talk about, uh, you know, we mentioned Dark Age, we mentioned Eden, um, More Time might be a good candidate, Dust 1947 might be a good candidate, Warzone, I think is, uh, we'd love to get Brian Steele on here and uh, have him talk about his plans for uh, the revival of that. Was there anything else in the short term you were looking forward to uh, talking about here? I think looking into some of our plans going forward, I'm definitely excited to talk about some of the things regarding Dead War games that are more of a general matter. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the hobby aspect of Dead War games uh, for people who might be checking this out and looking at it from like a primarily GW perspective, you know, like working with materials that aren't plastic um for people you know who are looking at dead war games for having trouble finding models how do we get around things like that um and being able to kind of address those concerns uh should be pretty cool and also looking at how do you find a community and or how do you build a community for a game that's not currently supported and hopefully that will help grow a lot of these dead war games and help people get some uh, some games in yeah, definitely. I, I know for me, the, the games that I, I'm probably the most excited to play are games that are no longer supported. And that always makes things tricky walking into a local game store and trying to find you know, strangers that you don't know to play with because uh, you know, war gamers tend to play a lot of different games, but everyone tries to, in my experience, play games that they have a high degree of confidence that they'll actually be able to get a game with someone in. Nobody wants to show up to the game store with uh, their stuff in tow after a long day of work and then find out that no one else there wants to play the game they want to play. So I definitely think some tips and tricks for finding communities. I know you and I are both pretty active on the convention circuit and uh, definitely have had a lot of success both meeting people into games that are no longer supported and also uh, just getting some great games of older games in. Um, Obviously, that's got some tricks at the moment with uh, the current situation in the world. So um, there might be some hacks in the short term. I know a lot of people are a big fan of uh, Tabletop Simulator. And I know some of the games that you and I both really enjoy playing are, are supported there. So it uh, might be a good opportunity for people that are into games that are no longer supported to use us as a hub to uh, find others that are interested. Um, obviously, social media being what it is uh, helps, helps people connect. But uh, I know sometimes, you know, Particularly outside of the U.S., people don't all use the same site, so some people are more active on Discord, others are more active on Facebook. Um, so hopefully we can help put people together. Uh, with regards to older materials, um, I definitely agree that there's some challenges that are, are going to be unique to older metal sculpts. Um, new plastic definitely is, is a lot different than uh, what us old-timers used in the 90s and early aughts. Um, in terms of new technology, though, do you have a lot of experience with 3D printing? I don't personally 3D print, but I do uh, have a few friends who do, which awesome. uh, is really all that you need, you know? Like, it's, as long as your uh, wargaming group has uh, one poor guy with a printer, um, you know, the whole wargaming group basically owns that printer. <laughs> and, as, as, uh, as, as one of the poor guys with a printer, I, I, can, I can agree with that. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a new technology and it offers a lot of interesting kind of possibilities that didn't exist even like five years ago, um, especially with uh, how cheap some of them are now and how good the technology is getting. Um, 
I think that's going to be something else that we can uh, definitely delve into a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely one of the things that uh, I'm excited about. I mean, there there is obviously not literally, but getting close to literally an infinite number of models out there. And uh, in cases where you can't track down that uh, ultra rare sculpt of a, a model that you know only 300 are made of in France and uh, you can't find it in the Midwest of the U.S., it's nice to have a, a pretty close likeliness to it. Or honestly, in some cases, some of these games that... Uh, we're excited about have models that are just very very old some of the more time sculpts are from the late 90s and sculpting and technology and quality has come up incredibly since then so while there's a lot of character in those old sculpts sometimes they're um, for lack of a better term a little bit fugly obviously that's in the eye of the beholder but um, there, there are definitely some sculpts that you and I both have talked about for games that we love that uh let's say haven't stood the test of time so I think it's awesome that there's now an opportunity for people to put a little bit their own flair on things and I, I think what's nice about some of these games that are no longer supported is there's less community pressure and I find less internal pressure to really hold true to the the actually released models um, both due to the fact that sometimes they're hard to come by and uh, you know sometimes it, they you know it's nice if you can use a proxy and I find that people that play these older games are definitely a little bit more um, friendly and understanding about using proxy models. Um, it, just in general, too, I find that a lot of these older war games, people that play them are playing them because they're incredibly passionate about the game. Uh, there, there's less competitive pressure when you meet someone at a, a tournament. Um, you know, when there's only four people that show up for your Dark Age tournament at midnight at a convention, if you're there, it's because you're really passionate about Dark Age. And I find it, you know, oftentimes people are just incredibly happy to meet someone that plays the same game as them there's uh not quite that um you know competitive itch that kicks in so that that's one thing that i i've really enjoyed uh, about playing some of these older games as i get into my dotage i find that i'm uh less inclined to want to spend 12 hours playing a highly competitive game at a convention um that that's just not uh not what gives me my jollies anymore nothing nothing wrong with it if it does i, I definitely was someone that played competitive games for a very very long time a good chunk of my 20s but uh at this point in time that's just not what i'm i'm really looking to get out of uh a game when i play it yeah i think that actually brings us into what we're looking to talk about next which is some of the positives about a dead war game and what kind of attracts you to the game itself and i do think that the community itself can be wonderful for a lot of the dead war games definitely and I think that there's a, there's a few reasons for that. Like like you mentioned, you know, sometimes if someone's still committed to playing a game that's no longer supported, it means that it's something that's really important to them uh, for the most part. And usually people are so happy to get in some of these games that they're not in it for those ultra competitive reasons. They're just they're happy to put those models on the table and play the system. And that can lead to a very just friendly environment um, in tournaments. And that combined with the fact that there there usually isn't a huge group of players, um, so you know you you don't you want to take extra special care not to uh, piss anyone off or or upset <laughs> them, you know, and get them out of the hobby. You don't have tons of people waiting to kind of pick up and play with you. Um, and I also think you know for for the most part that the community can be a little bit more diverse because you don't have these just huge metas. You sometimes don't have um, a lot of kind of like net decking sites or forums and things like that. So 
usually when you are traveling to a convention, you're getting people who are coming from pretty far distances away and they're bringing completely different ideas out. You know, I've, I've gone to conventions and played dark age and, and seen things on the table that I didn't even know existed in the game. And <laughs> that it's, it's, it's always been like a ple a pleasurable kind of surprise and introduces some new like challenges and it's also an opportunity to really meet people from further away. Um, a lot of times, because there's fewer tournaments available, especially on a local basis, people are willing to travel really far, even if it's not a convention. So, you know, I've I've hosted tournaments for uh, Dead Games and had people for just a friendly local game store tournament come all the way up from like from florida to new jersey you know or um down all the way from boston to new jersey for just a one day three round kind of tournament and that's a lot of fun it makes uh it a little bit more social it's great to be able to interact with people who are a little bit further away um, people from different areas of the country that you wouldn't typically you know interact with and by the similar thing it gives you a good reason to kind of travel yourself um so yeah i think those those are definitely some benefits to the community surrounding a dead war game and looking into just some of the other things that are pretty neat about it uh, what i really like is a lot of times games tend to evolve you know and sometimes they can get to a point where there's a rules bloat or there's a lot of kind of like a codex creep of newer models coming out or better than older models um and sometimes they'll just be like a new kind of rule associated that comes out and you're like, man, you know what? Like, I just really liked this game before this thing happened. And what can be really nice about a dead game is some of these games, um, as unfortunate as it may be, ended up having support canceled or stopped, you know, right when the game was at kind of its pinnacle. Yep. When the game was doing fantastic, um, everything was really well balanced, um, there was a wide variety of models, but there weren't so many where it became a, oh, well, you're playing this faction, you, you really only take these five models because they're better than, you know, <laughs> X, Y, Z, like here's your A tier, your B tier, and your C tier. Um, and I think a lot of the dead games that have been um, a little bit more fun to play are in that area where they're almost frozen in time you know where the rules that are out there are really great and on the benefit like those rules aren't going to change you're going to be able to enjoy playing that game in in its best form for as long as you want to as, as long as you have opponents and as long as you have the the models and gaming material and i think that can be a really great benefit yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I agree with everything you said, um, probably unsurprisingly since we're doing this podcast together, but uh, I, I would say what, what I've enjoyed a lot about some of the older games is there definitely, to your point, um, is less of a, I think, urge in people that play these games to really show up to the tournament and win. Their, their goal going to these tournaments or events uh, at conventions or, or just whatever locally hosted event is to show up and play games, which... You would hope everyone is uh, committed to that generally, but in my experience, you know, particularly in some of the more competitive-minded games, people want to show up and win. And you know, obviously, I think everyone would love it if they showed up and, and won an event, particularly if there's prize support. But for some of these older games, oftentimes it's just the the pleasure of showing up. Um, to that end, 
I've seen a lot of cases of people trying kind of new and fun things, staying away from what's perceived as being the most powerful thing because people want to have a good time for that. Um, I know, and this is speaking a little bit outside of my ken, so apologies to the VOR, the Maelstrom community, if I'm, I'm misunderstanding the situation there, but that's a game that I've read on a lot and played a little bit uh, many, many moons ago. That was a game that was uh, developed by a company called FASA. Uh, it was their tabletop war game. It was actually a lot of artwork from uh, Mr. Matt Wilson that went into that game, who later left uh, after FASA closed and started a small company called Privateer Press, which you might have heard of. Um, that was a game that, uh, due to the unusual nature of FASA closing, kind of was just stopped in its tracks. It did not uh, did not stop production due to any fault of the game. Just the the holding company closed, and it was just done when it was done. The last book released for it was a sub faction called Pharon that um, didn't quite get the polish I think everyone involved with it had hoped. And it's been interesting to see that. People agree, okay, this, this faction's not in the best of states, so people will, generally speaking, try to avoid the worst excesses of it. And there's a lot of online community-driven FAQs to help try to normalize uh, some of the rough edges of that. And I think that's a little bit more common in some of these games than it would be in a currently supported game. Um, I, I really find the community involvement and the community's ability to kind of decide for itself where it wants to go which in an ideal world would always be part of a, a tabletop wargaming, but I find it can be uh, difficult to get everyone to agree to these kind of uh, community-driven house rules of sorts uh, for an actively supported game, which, I mean, makes some sense. If there's active support, obviously the company providing it um, should and, and often does have a very large say in how things are uh, run, but it's been interesting to see after that happens, kind of what, what takes over and uh, what the net result is. And oftentimes I find it's uh, it's very positive. Yeah, definitely. And going along with a few more positives for Dead War Games, I think that one that can easily be overlooked a few times is the actual cost. Uh, when you look at a lot of the Dead War Games, you can usually find some of the uh, models or starters on clearance in game stores. Uh, yep you know, all of the bargains for the secondary markets, um, because sometimes the game ends and someone's just like, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a community by this uh, around me. I don't, you know, I don't see myself playing this. It's going in the trash or it's going on, you know, somebody <laughs> on eBay. And, um, while that's, you know, kind of sad for that person, it does mark the spot where a new person can get into the game for a very reasonable cost. And, you know, I think, a lot of these war games, a lot of the dead systems, I've seen people get in, you know, 25 bucks, like, yep. 50, you know, 50 bucks. And, and I mean, like when you're looking at getting into a brand new war game for less than the cost of like a fancy dinner for two, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty solid thing. And um, also when you're looking at it, a lot of the times with the dead war games, because there's not as much of kind of like a watchdog or anything to really profit off of the game itself a lot of the materials start to become available for free so mm -hmm. when you're talking about model rules when you're talking about rule books when you're talking about you know organized play guidelines tokens all of these other things the community tends to set up its own kind of you know free library of here are all the resources and you know oh well i took this resource but I made it friendlier for you know friendlier for printing or friendlier for your phone and you don't you don't have to worry about oh well you know I got to pay 
40 bucks, 50 bucks for a rule book, then I, you know, I have to buy my army rule book for 40, 50 bucks. And, you know, you're paying anywhere between, you know, 20 and a hundred dollars just for rules. Um, you get to a point where like you have a lot of these rules available for free. And that also lets you kind of check out the game and you can check out the game. You can see if it's something that you want to play before you invest in any materials for it. And it also makes it really easy to get other people in because when you tell someone like, hey, so uh, I found this game, you know, I'm really excited about this game, Eden. It was made in Europe. It's super cool. Um, you know, uh, here's the here's the rule book. Here are all of the model cards. <laughs> like, yep. You know, browse through it, decide what you want. Like, And then it also gives you a really good jumping off point where it's like, okay, well, I decided I really, really like ISC. I know what I'm looking for, <laughs> you know, like yep. I know exactly, like I know exactly the models I'm looking for and that can cut down on sometimes, you know, someone goes and they buy a starter just because it's like, Oh, like I saw this in the store and it was an impulse buy. <laughs> and now I, I opened it and realized I, I I'm never going to use anything in the starter. <laughs> like this just does not fit my play style. Um, I like to play bricky lists and, um, this is basically glass. <laughs> like <laughs> my opponent looked at it and it exploded. Um, so it, it does save you a lot of money in, in the long run, too, which can be a lot of fun. I think, you know, mo most people would rather save a little bit where they can, and it leaves options open where you can play multiple dead war games for the price of, like, a single army for a different game system. Yeah, I uh, I would say building on that, um, you mentioned something like Eden. I, I think one of the highlights I wanted to mention here, too, was oftentimes games that... Uh, have fallen by the wayside, have had some pretty interesting and experimental mechanics. So, you know, Eden's a game that doesn't really play like a lot of other war games I, I've played. There are certainly elements of other war games that remind me of Eden in certain ways. I can definitely tell you games that Eden was inspired by, for example, Rackham's Confrontation, but it really is kind of a unique flavor. Um, and it's... It's one of the big reasons why I continue to play some dead war games is that th there's things in these games that just don't exist anymore, which makes it you know, d just uh, worth the investment, worth the hassle of trying to track down some of these models or you know put together communities and find like-minded people to play these games. Uh, on your note about cost, I would say uh, getting over to some of the difficulties in playing no longer supported war games, uh, one of them is... Finding models, you know, it's great when you go to an LGS or you find the one game store that has a web presence or an eBay store that has, you know, what used to be an $80 model for, on clearance for 12 because it's a game that's no longer supported. But particularly in some of the more popular, uh, no longer supported games, the supply of that runs out pretty, pretty quick. Um, so it, if you're really, really passionate, you find a model that you just absolutely love the look on. Sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to find those models. Um, I find, too, there's a couple of games that I've played in the past that are no longer supported. Um, Rackham's Confrontation, which uh, there was an attempt to bring that back, I think, with the, the declaration of bankruptcy by the company tried to do that. We, we can probably officially again say that is that is no longer supported game. Um, it could be really difficult to find some of the original models because they were so beautiful that painters bought them up. And uh, for a long time before the scourge of recasting it was almost impossible to uh to find some of those original models now, now they are being recasted and i don't want to get too much into that in the introduction um the ethics of, of recasting i would say in general 
if you don't own an IP, please don't recast it. It makes things hard for a lot of ways, but I, I won't dig too much into that. Uh, Chris, what, what do you think are some other difficulties in trying to get these games going? Yeah, I guess moving into the uh, difficulties or, you know, what I would say is probably barriers to getting invested into a Dead War game. You kind of hit, hit hit it on, on the head a little bit. And uh, I think we can go over not only is there some barriers, but there's some ways to get over those barriers. So you're talking oh, yeah. about like, yeah, uh, sometimes there's certain models, you know, or certain factions that can be really tough. You know, you want to get into Dark Age, but you decided that you absolutely love Core. Um which unfortunately we're like in a very good spot rules wise when the game ended, but also um, didn't have all of their models available and had a very, very limited release of certain models like uh, Aaron and his hounds and um, like the little, uh, I forget what the T-Rex things are. The little T-Rexes, not the big T-Rex. Oh, uh, the, the, the Raptor, but in, in elite speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> awesome models like definitely go and check that out like now but um, <laughs> when you, you look at it there, there's a few options open to that so it might be more difficult to find some of these kind of like chase models which can be dis disappointing but um as a community sometimes it the community can help itself find models which has been really impressive i've seen people post up in the dark age forums like i'm i'm really looking for this one model and someone will kind of go back into their collection and be like, well, yeah, you know what? I actually, I have one of those. I, you know, I, I picked up some uh, salt flat nomads because I was thinking about building the army, but you know, right now I'm not too into that. So I'm okay selling that or I'm okay kind of trading that off to you. And they're not really looking to make a profit off of it. And I've even seen them. Um, I think Dave Taylor posted up. He's like, what's that one model you, you wanted, but you just can't find. And it became a community post Yep. where people would post up like hey like i was looking for this but i i never found it in the wild and they get like three responses like hey dude like i can definitely help you out <laughs> you know and um stuff like that and the way the the community gets around it is great and there's a few other things too that i think we're definitely gonna have a full episode on but things like 3d printing um there's a lot of options out there, whether you can sculpt a project yourself, um, you can commission a sculptor, you can use a program that has pre-built sculpts in it, and um, you have the opportunity of creating your own kind of proxy model that mimics what you think this model should look like or what it is. Um, you have the option of looking into proxies that exist, which can also be great because that's a great way to support your local game store, even though you're buying it, you know, you're buying it for a game that they can't really support you can look into ways like that to provide some money for the store which in turn builds that relationship where now you can run events there because you're spending money in store even though they don't carry the game that you're playing um and then you also always have you know the uh the old conversion route which is hey you know like um so back to aaron you know in the hounds i, I have some extra brood hounds I have some extra Forsaken models. I have some pieces from other things. Like I can take something from that I have from the models in the game to make something that closely represents the model that I want, but I don't actually have access to. And I think as a community, when a game's no longer supported, it's definitely a lot more flexible on the models that you can bring to like a tournament or a narrative event because it's everybody wants you to be able to play and have a good time. And again, it's it's really not about 
supporting a company or supporting the game by filtering money into it so it takes away that like monetary component and incentive for needing the exact model for whatever you're trying to represent yeah definitely um you're on your note of the the lgs support i think you really hit it on the head there with you know please please be a good citizen of your, of your lgs if, if you are playing a lot of dead war games um, you're probably not spending a ton of money at your local game store. Um, oftentimes because you'll probably go through what they have in clearance pretty quick and then you're not buying anything. And uh, obviously depending on where you live, you know, situation in somewhere like New York City is a bit different than a situation in somewhere like rural Indiana. But uh, oftentimes, you know, space in a game store is at a premium. So, you know, do your part in trying to be a good citizen there. You know, help bring people in. But if you, you do come into a store, you know, periodically try to buy something. I know for myself, I like to try to buy most of my paints at my local game store and other hobby supplies. Just so that, you know, yeah, it costs me a little bit more than it would on Amazon. But if I'm using their table space and I'm not buying uh, buy my armies there, it, it does, you know, do my part to help keep the lights on. Um you know, if you play Magic the Gathering, please buy your cards there. And that's how most of these places are staying open. And in these trying times, I've been trying to, you know, for the stores I play, just buy whatever I can that I'm interested in just to help keep the lights on. With, uh, you know, coronavirus, it, it's been been tough for a lot of places. And I'm hoping that on the other side of this, we still have a, a lot of these places to play. Because if we don't, that'll be, that'll be a loss for the community. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings us to the next kind of barrier that exists, which is community you know like um sometimes it can be a little bit tough a lot of people i think uh are drawn to certain games because they know no matter where they go they're going to have a community for that game you know i think um you know like 40k and age of sigma are really good examples of this exists in every game store in the country you know so sometimes someone will get into it because it's a really easy it's an easy find to find opponents um for a dead war game that can be a challenge for a few reasons you know store isn't really going to kind of promote that on their own because it's not something that makes them money you know and it might not be something that someone sees on a regular basis because there's no company kind of promoting this um so there's a obviously like a few things that you can do to kind of get over that i think social media has been terrific in being able to connect people with more niche uh hobbies and games and also setting up digital games you know being able to play on tabletop simulator and some of those other options has been good so you know you can learn the rules and then you can start bringing it around you know going to conventions i think conventions definitely are great places i see a lot of dead war games kind of coming back up you know i'm, I'm pretty sure that's that's what kept battletech going for forever <laughs> is the, you know like adepticon every adepticon every gen con all these big conventions every year it's like we're, we're gonna play battletech we're gonna have people together and when you know people see a game being played and they know they always have a chance to have an opponent they're more likely to kind of try to get into it um also owning you know more than one faction is a is a really easy thing f to do for a lot of these games mm -hmm. and it gives you the ability to Play with someone because they don't even necessarily need to own their own things you can kind of play with them just bring your bag with all your factions out to the game store and set up and sometimes you'll get someone and what turns into it you know starts as a demo turns into somebody who really enjoys the game and then you're on your start to kind of building that community locally um you know as people see the two of you playing they might want to join in as well and be interested in what's on the table um, I'm a pretty big fan of 
paint your stuff, you know, because <laughs> I do think that, you know, when you're talking about building a community, showing off painted models and a well, like modeled, uh, well-terrained table is definitely more attractive to a person walking by. So I think, you know, putting more of that kind of street value out there and that eye candy value is also going to help you to find new opponents moving forward. Um, you know, and that all, all the basics of what would you do to, you know, encourage someone to play a game, you know, take a shower, make sure you smell good, you know? <laughs> like, like be friendly, like, like all these really basic things, you know, no different than just how do you make friends, you know, like the, the really basics, because I think with war games in general, you're, you're looking at that, uh, you're looking at that social component. So being able to do the, the basics, you know, and uh, connect with people that'll help you to build your community. Yeah, I, I would say it, it's really no different than trying to grow a community for a, a, a non-dead game. Uh, I, th I think you covered all the basics there. I, I would say you might be surprised if you show up to a local game store and play you know, a game that's no longer supported. How many people come up and go, oh, hey, yeah, I, I love that game. And I've got all these models in my closet. I just, I didn't know that anyone else was interested. Now that I know you, hey, this would be awesome. I, I can I can play it. Um Speaking of kind of rounding back to where you started, the social media component, I've been really impressed and happy with how some of the, the current YouTube creators have been able to make people aware or get people excited about uh, games that no longer exist. So someone like Ash from Gorilla Miniature Games will occasionally do like a throwback Thursday episode with an older game. And it's been really cool. You know, the times he's mentioned Dark Age, we've seen a lot of uh, traffic driven to the Dark Age Facebook group by that, which is, is great. Um, so it, I think, you know, making buddies and uh, trying to coax your favorite content creators into, you know, playing some of these older games also can do wonders for a community. Um, on the note of community and getting people to play in person, I, I think you and I both play multiple games. Um, I would love it if I could play Dark Age or Eden every week at my local game store. But, you know, like most war gamers, we play a lot of different games. So I found I have had a lot of success, you know, getting people to play for a season. You know, hey, like the next month, let's let's play Dark Age. Great. And then we'll switch to a different game, which isn't really different than uh, how I play a lot of games outside of this. Um Obviously, there are tournament players for things like 40K and AOS that uh, really want to bunker down on those. But I find, you know, particularly after like a large event like an Adepticon, oftentimes those players want a palate cleanser. They want to play something that, that's not the regular game because they've been playing a lot of it. And I, I find that Dead War games can be something that they're excited about. You can get some, you know, great time in for a month and then, you know, move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all I can think about are those uh, big War Machine team tournaments at Captain Con or Temple Con before that. Where it's like, man, uh, yeah, so I started at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. It's now 2 o'clock in the morning the next day. <laughs> Sleep is for the week, Chris. Sleep is for the week. <laughs> it's like my, my brain is shot. I, I don't want to look at a War Machine model for the next three weeks. Like, but what else can I do? And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's, again, you know, another great opportunity where if you uh, you can bring out multiple factions of a thing, you're going to find a lot of people like I, I need to do something else, you know, um, especially in like those hyper competitive games like, man. So I, I just played three rounds. I got my butt kicked three rounds in a row. <laughs> like I can't like I just I can't I can't do this right now. Like not saying they want to quit the game or like, you know, or even that you're trying to promote quitting that game. But just in the fact that like given that like a positive experience, a more casual kind of thing to do um, and they'll have a good time. 
Yeah, you know, it's like eating spicy food. I I, I love love spicy food, but sometimes you, you get enough of it, and you just need some water. You just need some bread. You know, it, it it's a nice palate cleanser. <laughs> Um, was there anything else you want to talk about, Chris, or do you think this is a good enough introduction to what we're going to do? I think this is, uh, pretty good. Um, were there any other, like, barriers that you can think of? Because I, I, I think that might be the only real ones that kind of, uh, popped up for me. Yeah, I, I think the one thing we haven't talked about, and I'll close on this, is, you know, technology's changed a lot in the past 30 years. Um, there are older war games that you may be interested in that, believe it or not, didn't have a digital presence. So something like um, AD&D Chainmail. I don't believe there ever was a, an officially released PDF of the rules for that. Um, I know a couple of content creators have been going hard on showing the rules, showing the models for that. So if you're excited in something like that, it can actually be difficult to track down the, the official rules. So just one more barrier if you're trying to build a community. Hey, like, I love this 1980s game. Great. Do you have a PDF of the rules? Uh, so, you know, that, that can be one thing that's a little tricky to go over. I find that um, oftentimes the communities online have found ways around that. People will scan in old books, um, you know, put PDFs up. So I, th that can be tricky. And I think that really just uh, is a matter of finding like-minded people and uh, finding what you need to go. Yeah, sometimes it can be a bit of a search. I remember when uh, some of the local guys here uh, really pushed me into Mordheim, mm -hmm. which I... That sounds bad. Like, I really do enjoy more time now, but, like, it, it was some violent peer pressure. But um, when, you, when you look at it, it was like, okay, so, like, where can I find the rules? And it's like, okay, well, um, like, what faction are you interested in? It's like, oh, I'm interested in Lizardmen. It's like, okay, well, you're going to have to look at this PDF, this PDF, and this PDF, and then also look at this fact. And, it, it, like, because it came out as so many different things, like, one was, like, a white dwarf article, one was, like, a supplement, one was the, the main rule book, and then there were some other supplements for the campaign that was being run. So it became a little bit tricky to kind of navigate that because it wasn't organized in a simple fashion or even, like, a more modern fashion. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily enough, like you said, the, the community you know this was all done before digital anything and the community did a really good job of scanning like scanning hundreds of pages <laughs> um and scanning them in like a decent quality and then people would actually go in you know and you have different people offering their own skills like I, i'm good at like cleaning up pictures and doing digital art so they'd go in and clean up all of these scans you know and you'd have different people kind of taking over different tasks um so even when things are a little bit disorganized a lot of times the information's still there and the best thing that you can really do is, is kind of post up a question and find out what the most prominent forum is or facebook group is for the game that you're interested in and the simple like post of like hey you know i'm chris i you know saw this game in, in an ash like throwback thursday i'm i'm super excited i i you know here's you know maybe the faction that i'm interested in like can someone point me in the right direction for the rule book or where i might be able to find what i'm looking for and i think in a lot of cases the community you're gonna get responses in minutes like you know, yep. no matter no matter what the community is whether it's you know the dark age group or the eden group you know someone's gonna be able to kind of help point you in the right direction and again people are going to be so welcoming because it you know, pe people are just dying for more of a community that you're not going to get that, like, noob Haiti kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, 
Google much, like kind of like uh, <laughs> response from people, you know, e even if you feel like it might be like a dumb question, it's not like people, there's going to be a community to kind of help you with it. Definitely. And actually, it's not on my list, but uh, it came to me while I was thinking about some older war games. The one more downside that uh, newer war gamers may encounter with older war games, pre-measuring. That was not a thing until maybe the 2010 time frame. Um, so, you know, get, get ready to uh, get good at estimating distances. Yeah, that yeah, that that's one I can't really give you a good way to overcome. Yeah, <laughs> um, some of the newer dead games, I do think pre-measuring is definitely a thing in Dark Age, Eden, um, some of those games. Like, it's it's incorporated into the rule set, but um, for people who have not encountered not being able to pre-measure, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck. It it is unfortunately a situation of you have to start estimating and it and it is part of the game it's it's going to be part of the skill set that you build along with the game um and with that being said like sometimes it, it can uh be a little bit interesting in, in some games i know even going back to like the certain games that have like guesstimated ranges on blast weapons where it's like yeah i think this is about 36 inches and you, you put your template out there and you have to drift from there it can it can lead to a very interesting um kind of mechanic and and some fun it can also make you, you know, you get a bit of a sense of accomplishment as well, like being able to be like, okay, like, hey, I, I knew this was about, you know, two to three inches, and, and now now I feel good about that, you know, like that I don't need to pre-measure every single thing. So what I'm hearing is you're okay with carpenters having a, a unique advantage in games over other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you could even be uh, a non-carpenter and start building some skills for carpentry at that point. <laughs> Career. all right well i think with that we are gonna call it um i'm gonna say if you like the episode please like us on whatever platform you found us on uh this is brandy new to us so we don't even know what that is um please like us on the social medias um instagram uh facebook etsy i don't know we'll, we'll figure it out uh <laughs> anything else you want to close on chris yeah just uh, in addition if there's any game that you feel you really want to hear about uh there's a very good chance that between owen and myself we've uh, we've played it or possibly own it it might be stuck in a basement somewhere but you know <laughs> it's it's in one of our our respective homes and uh just float a message we are going to be looking into covering a wide variety of games uh we're going to be looking at covering a wide variety of topics if they're you know even if you think of just like hey you know like i i just want to cover this one topic like there's a good chance like uh we could cover that for you so just uh shoot us a message uh leave us a a post and you know have fun yeah i i would add to that um if you're an expert in a game and uh, you're really passionate about it um please feel to you know please feel free to reach out to us and we'd be happy to talk with you um particularly if it's a game that chris and i don't know a whole heck of a lot about so i mentioned vor the maelstrom earlier I love reading the books on that. I have played a handful of games of that, but I am far, far from qualified to speak to the history of the game um, or a whole bunch of other facets of, of balance. Um, so it, there's a couple of games I think it would be really great to get someone who's really active in those communities on and uh, be able to really you know, spread the love and passion and uh, speak to those games. Sweet. So uh, on that note, it's been a great time chatting with everybody and have fun.
Intro music is Axe to Mouth by Pulp 45, which is Owen's old band. Outro music is Control My Fate by Ataraxia, which is Chris's old band. All songs used with permission. If you like what you hear, please like or subscribe. Thanks. Thanks.